0: I want to ask you to grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 2. For decades now, and even more in recent years, we have seen a radical increase in the world's agenda to profane God's good and right design for sexual intimacy. The wicked agenda of a fallen sinful world is on a full court press to propel homosexuality, transgenderism, and many other forms of sexual immorality and perversion. Its most recent advancement finds our way to our brothers and sisters in Canada. As a new bill went into effect this week, whereby any counseling, any teaching, any therapy or the like that tries to dissuade someone from the sin of homosexuality or transgender longings or behaviors is now a felony crime. Punishable up to five years in prison. That means that faithful brothers in Christ who are standing in their pulpits this morning to preach what God's word declares is good and right are likely facing arrest, a potential jail time following their Sunday church gatherings today. Church, we need to pray. We need to pray for steadfastness that honors to exalt Christ and not to appease the flesh in any way. We need to pray for these families who will suffer as a result of the wicked agenda that outlooks to come straight at the church and all those who stand for God's good truth in contrast to the sinful deception that plagues so many in our society. This kind of persecution against God's good truth is not far from home and is surely coming to our doorstep. In many ways it is already here. Well, I won't take time to get into that this morning, I want to share with you that many faithful shepherds are standing united in the leading of the redeemed around the world today to preach clearly and boldly from God's word in order to stand for what is true and God-honoring in midst the wicked deception Agenda and lives that are society and sadly even some who are in the church, claim to be part of the church, are being caught up in. Your elders understand that this can be a very sensitive subject for you. For some of you, this is front and center. Because you know people who are dear to you, or you yourself have truly struggled with sexual immorality or impurity. Thankfully, God is not silent on this issue. And so we don't have to conjecture. We don't have to get into the business of sharing our own opinions. But instead, we can plant ourselves firmly in God's word to be proactive to combat anything in us that might cause us to elevate our own personal opinion or experiences over what the Lord has spoken clearly about. There needs to be no mystery when it comes to this topic, for God's word is clear. And the authority and is authoritative to inform our thinking, our convictions, and our practices. Second Timothy three, sixteen through seventeen, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Second Corinthians ten four through five, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Proverbs three five and six trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Praise God for his enduring word of truth as it guides us into all truth and into what glorifies him. Amen. For God is the almighty creator, sustainer, and ruler of everything. He is perfect and the standard by which all things are measured. Word of Truth Catechism, question one. With so much to cover in just one sermon, we need to jump right in. But as we do, I want to ask that you would pray for me. Pray that I speak clearly and that I honor God's word in our time together today. Know that as you do, I've been praying for you all and for our society. For this topic surely brings with it an opportunity to polarize those who are dead in sin and serving Satan and his wicked agendas and prideful ego and those who have been made alive in Christ and aim to serve God in all things and honor him as worthy to be praised. Church, look with me at Genesis chapter 2, and let's start where God started when it came to the topic of sexual morality and purity. Genesis two eighteen through 25 says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was no, not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept... "'took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. "'And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man "'he made into a woman and brought her to the man. "'Then the man said, "'This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. "'She shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. "'Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother "'and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. "'And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed.'" Here we see that God is the one who ordains marriage and therefore God is the one who defines marriage and within it the moral place that human romance and intimacy are to take place. To start at the foundation that informs all these things, we must start here. The overarching truth is this. Marriage And human romantic relationship and intimacy are all God's creation, and therefore they exist for his purposes and are to be done by his guidelines. When God created this world, there were specific things that God, the creator of all things, instructed and instituted for mankind to carry through this creation that need to be identified and understood and carried out according to his design and plan. These are called creation ordinances, or creation mandates. Two things important to understand about creation ordinances. Number one, an ordinance that is creational is perpetual. Meaning that creation ordinance is to be carried out from the beginning of the creation to the end of the creation. That's its term. Number two, creation ordinances are to be rightly honored by all men and women. The Apostle Paul shows us the importance of the creation design in his teaching all throughout the New Testament as he often appeals to the creation order for its authority when he asserts the distinct roles of men and women what we have as we have in the church and in the home. He roots the foundation of God's design for these things in the creation account by solidifying his point about marriage, how marriage should be, By looking to the account of God's design in creation. Paul's point is that this is the way these things are to still be understood and carried out today. Meaning they don't change or adjust because the culture has changed or adjusted. They are perpetual by God's decree. One place we see Paul do this is when he refers to the headship of the husband by solidifying this principal fact that Adam was formed first, and then Eve. Second, in 1 Timothy 2.13, he says this. Many can be guilty of reading the Bible in parts, and wondering or claiming that it the, that no longer applies today. While there are things that God ordained to happen for a time, the clarity we must understand is that when the topic at hand is a creation ordinance, it is still for today, and it will remain until the end of this creation. It does not change. Consider with me the next point of a creation ordinance. Not only is it perpetual, but we are commanded, they are commanded to be rightly honored by all men and women. Creation ordinances are by the Lord, the Creator, over all mankind. This means the mandates God gives to all mankind at creation are not just for Christians or any particular people group of God created, but instead they are for all people. I want you to see Jesus and the apostles thousands of years later uphold the creation ordinance for marriage just as it should still be upheld today. For example, when Jesus taught on marriage as recorded in the gospel testimonies, He teaches clearly that marriage is a one flesh union made by God and bound until death. To prove that this is an unchanging standard, what does he reference or call their attention to? He calls them back to the creation account and uses the creation ordinance for the authoritative basis for what marriage always has been by God's creation and will continue to be by God's holy decree it belongs to him. In Mark 10:6 through 9, Jesus says, "But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate." What this means is because God is the one who creates and ordains and decrees marriage. It does not change on the whim of the culture or the desires or longings of any given person. It is upon this foundation we look to understand these things. We don't look anywhere else. Hear this clearly. It is upon God's authority. The creator of the creation. The one who made all things and defines their place and their purpose that we look to to understand human sexuality and what is meant to happen, what is not meant to happen, that glorifies him. As a pastor, I have the God-given obligation to speak to these things, for it is my job to rightly teach and defend God's authoritative word for how he commands the world to work. It is all mankind's mankind's obligation as God's creation to submit to his design and authority on these things. To do otherwise is nothing short of prideful arrogance and utter sinful rebellion. So hear me clearly here. No institution or culture or person has the authority to redefine or reorder the decree, design, or purpose of marriage as God has declared it to be. The purpose of our, of our gender, of, of our sexual orientation. It is His to define and declare It is from the very creation ordinance of God that we rightly understand what is sexually moral and or pure and what is not. For God's word says that he made them male and female. God made two become one in holy marriage. In this he defines the construct for the family through his creation of procreation That only happens in the sexual union of one man and one woman. Understand, this is the only way children are made. And this is the righteous way God intends relational intimacy to happen. To say it again, marriage and procreation is only between one biological man and one biological woman. Not many men and many women... One and one. It cannot happen between a man and a man, or a woman and a woman. God made mankind distinctly male and female. He made our bodies to engage and procreate only as male and female. And this happens in a way that is moral and pure when it's done in holy marriage only. So let's stand firm on this major foundational point. Mankind does not hold the rights to rewrite or redefine what God has defined in his creation ordinance. Nor are we to embrace any line of thinking in the name of peace or tolerance or love that would say otherwise. It doesn't matter what the government or the culture says or wants it to be. It doesn't matter what the popular vote among society wants it to be. It doesn't matter what your most beloved family or friends declare it to be in their life. They don't get to redefine what God has made clear. These things are simply not ours to change. And in the end, we are not loving those who think it benefits their life to endorse what is sexually immoral or impure church we cannot honor God or tell the truth to those we love and at the same time embrace man-made definitions of marriage of gender identity or man's effort to justify sexual immorality or impurity so the question that begs to be asked where did mankind go wrong how did we get here The sad reality is that the depth of depraved thinking and practice when it comes to gender confusion or sexual identity or practice is so far off the rails. And yet it is this very dominant narrative that is being held up by our society and those driving godless agendas and priorities that is at the forefront of what society is saying must be embraced and defended as good and true when it is not. To even begin to understand what's happening, we must see that the world's sin-filled agenda when it comes to sexuality or gender identity is not done in the name of love for those who struggle with gender confusion or immoral sexual attraction but instead is a full frontal attack on God and what God declares to be good and righteous. That's where this fight is happening. Whether they want to say it or not. This is why the legislation that went into effect this week in Canada makes standing for God's truths a felony crime because they want those who stand for truth to be stripped of their right to speak And to be silenced so that their damnable lie can continue to spread. At its core, this topic is not about relationships. It's not about kindness. It's not about love. It's about hating God and what God calls good. That's their agenda. That's what's happening. This is not my opinion. The Apostle Paul is so very clear in Romans chapter 1 to help us understand how mankind's sin brought about judgment and the consequence of sexual immorality and impurity to fallen mankind. The very sin that moves so strong in our culture still today. So let's turn there together. Look with me in the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. I want to look through in detail this morning. And so first we'll look to Romans chapter 1, 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Paul says in verse 18 that all of this tragic view and practice begins with men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He goes on to say that God, who God is, And what he is due in worship and obedience was clearly perceived by all mankind ever since the creation of the world. Therefore, mankind is without excuse as to why they do not honor God. But mankind, starting with Adam and Eve, chose to disobey God's good design and command for them. This meant real consequences for mankind's lives. Paul says in verse 21 that mankind became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. This is the arrogant way of a fallen, self-seeking creation who denies honoring and trusting the Creator and instead designs to do it our own way. In this, mankind, the human race, denies what God calls good and right and then declares what we think is good and right in its place. Do you see how we got here? Mankind rejected God's good, right place to declare the ways things are and should be, and instead inserts a sinful, fallen view of what is good and right in its place. The truth is exchanged for a lie. This is why Paul says in verse 24 through 25, Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. The word lust that Paul uses here is the word epithumia. Epithumia is an over-desire. It's an excessive desire. It's a sinful desire. So mankind is given over to our sinful desires Understand, these are desires that are not holy. They're they're against God. They're wicked. They're self-seeking. God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. He gave them up in our sinful desires of our hearts to impurity. The word impurity there that Paul uses means physical or moral uncleanliness. So the sinful desires of fallen man's heart is impure. It is stained. It is dirty. It is foul. It is polluted. What was the sinful desires of mankind's polluted, dirty, foul hearts? The dishonoring of our bodies among ourselves. In other words, to use... Their bodies and minds for things that are opposed to God's good design. Things that are not pure, they're foul, they're stained, they're immoral. More on the details of that in a moment, but see Paul's concluding statement. They exchange the truth about God for a lie you see the demise of mankind to reject what God, the only one who is holy, perfect, and the almighty creator of this very creation. God, who is the one who gets to declare what is good and right and helpful and God-honoring and loving, but instead sinful man looks to replace God and his good truth with damnable lies, with cheap replicas, with counterfeits, with something that it's not intended to be. See the fundamental error and lostness in this. See the insanity of it. To call homosexuality or gender confusion good or proper is to call a bicycle a bed. Track with me for a moment. It is to cheat oneself From all the good that God created it to be and to be utterly dissatisfied with that thing used in the completely wrong way. You can't lay down on a bicycle and get any kind of quality sleep. Why? Because a bicycle is not meant to be slept on. Because nothing about it is meant to support the body in a laying down position. A bicycle is meant for something completely different. And when you try to sleep on a bicycle, your life will be utterly miserable, no matter how much you tell yourself otherwise. See the depth of the lostness of mankind in our fallen sinful arrogance that wants to be so bold to declare that bicycles are to be used as beds. To go so far to create campaigns about it, to bank one's life on it, is truly madness. And more than anything, at its core, an insult and disrespect for the Creator who graced us to live this life to begin with. Don't miss this. It is to mock God, to disrespect Him at the most Fundamental level. So what is God's judgment on mankind for our sinful and wicked idolatrous pursuit? Romans 1, 26-32 For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relationship with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. See clearly, right here in God's holy word, a clear description that homosexuality and gender identity confusion is nothing short of shameless. God's word declares it to be an abomination An abomination means something morally disgusting, something abhorrent. See with me, the presence, the outworking of these longings are absolutely contrary to nature. Or you could say contrary to God's good creational design. And they are the epitome of the horizontal judgment of mankind's sin. In other words, there is nothing beautiful or good or to be celebrated among mankind in the longing for or practice of these things, for they are the very fallout of the judgment that is upon them in their arrogance and sin. Some will say wrongly that that the presence and practice of homosexuality or gender identity confusion is going to bring God's judgment upon our society. You've heard people say that. Maybe even you've said that. As this grows, as people embrace it, it's going to bring God's judgment. That is a gross misunderstanding. The very presence and practice of these wicked, sexually immoral, and impure pursuits is the judgment on the fallen people for their sin. Church, the simple biblical truth is this. You cannot honor God and love God and call any kind of sexual immorality or gender confusion good or okay or acceptable. For those, for that would be to embrace it. It is not acceptable for those who embrace it or practice it. This is simply the perpetuating of the lie. Paul continues, Romans 1, 28-32, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased mind, to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips and slanderers and haters of God, insolent and haughty and boastful and inventors of evil, disobedient to parents foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's right decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but they give approval for those who practice them. Here in verse 32, it mentions God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. One might ask, where is that in Holy Scripture? Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination and shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Paul says that even though mankind knew this was God's command and that his righteous punishment was death, they not only still did what was forbidden, they gave encouragement or approval for others to practice it as well. See the arrogance that motivates lost mankind. This is what is driving the agenda of our day. See it for the sin sick arrogance that it is. We cannot play light with this. God's word is clear to declare in places like Isaiah 5:20 20 through 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. Hear God's words so clearly today. There is nothing to be celebrated in these things. There is nothing to be encouraged in these things. There is no way to happiness on this path. There is no way to honor God when wholeheartedly embracing the very things that God forbids. No matter how much it seems to be working for those who you love, it is not moral. It is not pure. It is not okay. Now let's slow to see the layers here for mankind and sadly even for some in the church who have gone so far to try to make a way for sexual sin and impurity by making room for it on some layers while they say others are not okay. Have you ever heard someone say that it is not a sin to be a non-practicing homosexual? meaning there is a way to say homosexuality or homosexual attraction is okay, as long as you don't act on the longings of the heart and the flesh. Please hear me clearly today, as this is where the enemy is gaining some footing among those who would call themselves Christians. This is fundamentally flawed, humanistic thinking. Because sin happens not only in practice, but in the heart. Sin happens in the mind before it happens in the physical. Question 33 of the Word of Truth Catechism. What is sin? Sin is disobeying God. Sin is any disobedience in heart or deed to God's perfect law and commands. Disobedience in heart is having the wrong state of mind, wrong motivation or desire behind what we do or feel. Disobedience indeed is to do or say what God forbids or not do or say what God commands. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Matthew five, twenty seven through twenty-eight. Why is it that we must abstain not just from the actions, but from desires that God forbids? Because God's word is clear. First Samuel 16 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Matthew fifteen eight The people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Matthew twenty three, twenty seven through twenty eight, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. We must understand that the Lord's standard is purity. Not just on the outside of one's life, but on the inside and on the outside. The inside and the outside. Jesus said in Matthew 5.8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In Acts 8.5-24, a converted magician named Simon is called out to repent, not for the error of his outward deeds, but for the error of the intention of his heart. Acts 28 tw- uh, I'm sorry, Acts 8: 20 through21. But Peter said to him, "May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. The holy standard of God is that we must all be obedient from the heart, That means one must abstain from fleshly sinful desires. God's righteous command on us is that our affections are to be holy as well as our actions. To permit attraction and only deny behaviors is to turn biblical sanctification into behavior modification. Let me say that again to permit attraction and only deny behaviors is to turn biblical sanctification into behavior modification. There is no biblical merit for this. Instead, this is just another way modern man and society have tried to make light of God's holy standard and make too much of man's best efforts calling them good enough. Now, before talking about the remedy, we must take a moment to consider God's clear word for the consequence for those who remain in unrepentant sexual sin. God's eternal wrath in hell, number one. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 Or do you not know the unrighteousness will not inherit, I'm sorry, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Our society must see most clearly that the holy judgment and penalty of God for those who remain unrepentant in sexual sin and impurity is eternal suffering under God's wrath in hell. What is hell? 2 Thessalonians 1 8 through 9, inflaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Hell is to be separated from all that is good and holy and true. The Bible speaks of hell as outer darkness, eternal fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal punishment, a bottomless pit. This is what is at stake for those who embrace, promote, or practice Sexual immorality or impurity. There's nothing small about this. Not only is this the penalty eternally, but there's much penalty now as well in one's life. The consequence for those who remain in unrepentant sexual sin is deep damage to one's life. Just how serious is the sin of sexual immorality and impurity? Both the Old and New Testament of our Lord's divine word bring high warning. To flee from sexual immorality and impurity. Paul says to the church in Corinth that we are to run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. That's 1 Corinthians 6.18. We have to understand that sexual intimacy is more than physical. The heart is very involved by God's design. The emotional and spiritual scars of an impure thought life, impure sensual action are to one's life so staggering and some of the greatest consequences in hurt. In over two decades as a full-time pastor, I've seen no consequence to be more true in the lives of people who have struggled through sexual sin. Just listen to the wisest man to ever live king solomon as he gave strict warning to his sons about the threat of sexual immorality proverbs 5 3 through 14 the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil but in the end she is bitter as wormwood sharp as a two-edged sword her feet go down to death her steps follow the path to sheol she does not ponder the path of life her ways wander and she does not know it And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to to others, your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, And you say, oh, how I hated discipline. My heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. See God's word, church. Bring great clarity and warning that the consequences of engaging sexual sin ruins lives. Yours and others. Christian, if a ferocious animal is walking towards you down the street, you're not so arrogant to think that you're going to just stroll by and not be torn apart. No, you would run the other way. You would, you would avoid that animal at all costs. You would, you would take the long route. You would let it ruin the plans of your day, of your week, of your decade. Why? Because to not take it seriously is to let it ruin your life. Beloved, we have to move far away from what our society calls normal when it comes to sexual immorality. This is being pressed upon you every day. Please, everyone look at me. It is coming at you from every angle, every ad, every show, Every politician, every news reel, books you read, movies you watch, the enemy is coming at this to soften you, lighten you, weaken you, tempt you to set you up. We have to be so diligent, so focused, so accountable. We have to love those tempted to be given to it enough to treat it with the height of the warning that Scripture has for it. To do less is to not love those God puts in our lives. It's why you've seen our elders be so committed to trying to help our families, to think about things differently, to not do things the way Others are doing them. To be willing to make hard choices. I've seen the fruit of those hard choices. Good fruit. And I continue to see the consequences of those of you who continue to say, No, we'll be okay. The wonderful fact is that God has provided an escape from, from sex, from the fallout of, of mankind's demise to be given to sin and death and sexual impurity. Paul mentions it in verse 11 of the first Corinthians six passage. Let me read it all together. First Corinthians six, nine through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul says, and such were some of you. But you who were given to the desires of the flesh, to doing what God forbade, you were imprisoned in your depraved mind to think there was no other way than sexual perversion or practice. You were deserving of God's eternal wrath and punishment. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. This is the good news of God's saving grace to send God the Son, Jesus Christ, to live without sin so that He could die to take on the penalty our sin deserved and to rise from the grave so that we could live by faith in Him until He takes us home to God's eternal glory. Hear me clearly today. There is great hope for the person who has known nothing but homosexual longings, For the person who has been confused about their genetic construction or emotional leanings or personal longings, there's hope for you. There is a new beginning for the person who has given themselves to what God calls wicked and perverted and an abomination as he forgives all their sin and empowers them with the Holy Spirit to live differently. God blesses those who died to self. And trust our lives to Jesus Christ alone. So that we would have new longings and new desires. Not for the flesh, but for God. And for what is righteous before God. There is new life in Christ Jesus alone. Repent and believe in Him and be saved and be set free. Begin a new path of sanctification and reconciliation. And a new purpose for living. And a new power for fighting sin and sinful longings under the glory of God. You might struggle with some of that genetic struggle. Some of those, some of those things that are, that are present in your fallen body for the rest of your life. But God is able to empower you to not give in to them. To not be ruled by those desires. But to combat the flesh and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the hope we have in God until he takes us home to be with him in glory. No more sin, no more temptation, no more struggle. God has done this. He has done all that is needed to be done. And so if he is breaking your heart open today to see this gospel truth, then let go of your sinful feelings and your man-made perspective and your personal desires and turn from them to walk in the power of Jesus Christ unto what God will give you now and forever, if you are truly His. If this is you, know that you are loved here at Disciples Church. But that doesn't change our commitment to love you according to God's truth and to point you to what is righteous and your need for Jesus alone. Know that, church. May the Lord so honor us to bless our, our lives, our congregation, to put many homosexuals, many people struggling with gender confusion in our lives, that we could be a light of the gospel to them, that they would don our doors and sit in these seats to hear the word of truth preached amidst a world of lies, The power of God would go to work in their lives. May that be our prayer. That we would be a bright light amidst a very fallen land. Hear me so clearly today. The standard remains the same. It is not unchangeable. What is good and and right is God's alone to declare. We either stand against him Condemned in our sin, or we submit our lives to Him, alive in Christ, and loved and secured like nothing in all creation can love and secure us. The Christian response to a growing hostile secular culture, let's talk about that. For those who are saved, those who belong to Christ, how do we combat the ongoing pursuit of the world to sin in these ways? How do we prepare for the growing persecution of Satan and the world's fallen agenda? Number one. We who belong to Christ must stand for truth and honor God as Lord. 1 John 2.15 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let's get real practical for a moment. As a true Christian, you can love. You can serve. You can testify to the idolater. The adulterer the homosexual, the greedy person, the drunkard. But you cannot affirm them, endorse them, count them as acceptable or good in what they do. Why? Because these things are against God. And you love God more than anything. And you live to honor God above all else, Christian. These things are unrighteous and worthy of God's eternal wrath. To embrace or endorse them in this way is to make friendship with the world and its lostness in a way that you cannot be part of and stand with God in what is righteous and God-honoring. Those who claim Christ but also participate with, join, endorse the sinful ways of the depraved are ultimately trusting their own fleshly logic and humanistic ideology and not God. They're guilty of redefining what true love is and what is right and what is good. Therefore, they do not love God. Whereas John says, the love of the Father is not in them. If you struggle with that today, Christian, you need to do serious business with God's Word. If you're listening to this and that is you, you need to repent, stop justifying. Stop looking to modern interpretations of Scripture. These are wicked perversions of God's timeless truth. Of God's perpetual creation ordinances. The only righteous response is to repent and not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. Do not be deceived. There is a false church. And there are many fake Christians who will claim it is okay to endorse or partner with or love those who are given to these things and somehow claim it's okay to go so far to say that it's good when it's not. Church, do not be deceived. For the true church, those with true saving faith in Jesus, those who are redeemed to see and Savior Christ, And serve Him all of their remaining days. Do not call the things that God calls sin good or acceptable. We do not endorse these things or practice them. It doesn't matter how close to you that person who is practicing them is. Those with true saving faith who love God do not call sexual immorality good or acceptable. It is not righteous. We do not celebrate people's intimate engagement outside of marriage ever. Those who have true saving faith, who love God, do not call the practice of homosexuality or gender confusion good or acceptable, for it is not righteous. It does not honor God. So we do not embrace or celebrate people's practice of it ever. If you are guilty of calling these things good or acceptable, if you are guilty of approving of or embracing such things, you need to confess this as sin and repent Which means turning to a new practice in light of the gospel, in light of your devotion to God and his righteousness. Why? Because your true saving faith in Jesus will produce good God-honoring works and words that honor God, according to God, not you. And will look very different than the world's system of thinking and priority if you do not confess this as sin and repent of this kind of friendship with the world, then in James' words, you prove yourself to be an enemy of God. In John's words, you prove the love of the Father is not in you. Now you might say, so what does that mean for my relationships with my family or my friends that are endorsing or practicing these things? What does it mean for my political voting and positions? What does it mean for the way I raise my kids? It means righteous reformation, and redemption. It means sanctification and change in these areas of life. If you are of true faith in God, if you are devoted to God and accountable to God, then you will honor God no matter what it costs you. Your belonging to Him and your serving Him is not a matter of convenience. It means for many that you will suffer much. Again, I call you to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are preparing for such suffering today. You might say, but that means I, people I love could turn on me or it could change our relationship. And I would say this, and listen very carefully so you don't miss this point. The moment you trusted your life to Jesus, was the moment that all that began to radically change. You changed teams. And it was not a minor change. It was a life-changing shift that affects every area of your life. Church, I would go so far to say that being persecuted and hated by those entrenched in the sinful ideologies and priorities of the world is a good thing. Don't forget what Jesus himself said in John 15, 18-20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me they will also persecute you. I understand the temptation to be loved by the world is very real. My 20 years of pastoral career plus, I've seen many people who once claimed to love and be devoted to Jesus, people I have served with in this very church, prove to not have the love of the Father in them, because they valued being loved by the world more. They proved to be false disciples because they wanted to be loved and not hated by those in the world. We cannot aim to please others because if we belong to Christ, we will aim to please and honor God above all else. 2 Timothy 2.4, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. This leads me to my second point. How do we prepare for the growing persecution of Satan and the world's fallen agenda? Number two, we who belong to Christ will be persecuted and hated. Here is what we have to understand. If we love God and are devoted to God, we will be hated by the world. This is unavoidable. This is the only, it is only sinful fear of man that wants to shake this or try to find a different way. This is why a secular society is writing laws to make what God calls holy illegal. Because they hate God. And they will do whatever they can to come at those who stand with him. Church, see with me that being hated by the world is not something we the church freak out about. We don't hide away from it. No, instead we remember that the Bible teaches us that hatred of the world is another marker that we belong to King Jesus. It's good news to be hated by the world because it's a sign that you're no longer of the world. Did you remember Jesus' point? John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would have loved you as its own. Let us heed the words of our Lord in Matthew 5, 10-12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Church, Jesus says we are blessed to be persecuted by the world and for our allegiance to Jesus and obedience to his word. Why are we blessed? Because we have God. God. Never forget that God is the prize of all prizes. There's nothing greater. There's no greater satisfaction. There's no better life. No higher high than to be known and loved and secured by the holy God. Amen? We rejoice in this. Number three, we who belong to Christ must love and witness to the lost. Church, this is our mission field. While we long for another city, the city of God that is to come, we are commissioned by Christ our Lord to be active and present witnesses in the here and now. The Bible says that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, Matthew twenty two thirty nine. 39. We should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, Matthew 5, 44. We should engage our lost culture with truth and love. This means not shine away from the power of God's word as authoritative for all of life. This means sacrificially loving and serving the lost whenever we can. We must remember that people who are not born again do not yet have the power to please God and live in righteousness. Lost people need Jesus first. This means we love the world around us by sharing the life-changing gospel with them, not trying to simply change them with sin management or moral conformity. Obedience to God's commands only comes out of true saving faith in Jesus. Let's be sure to not ever get that backwards. Number four, we, we who belong to Christ must love and hold accountable other believers. The Bible says that we are to love our brothers and sisters who are in the Lord. Love for our redeemed family means we hold them accountable and we do not shy away from calling them to repentance from sin. Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Luke seventeen three, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. Hebrews three thirteen, Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We do not love those who claim Christ and are practicing unrepentant sin to not admonish them and hold them accountable. Even to the point of church discipline, as Jesus commanded us to in Matthew 18, if we don't walk in step with the gospel with each other, then why are we even here? Those who claim to belong to Christ but refuse to hold accountable. Those who also claim to belong to Christ but are unrepentant in sexual sin. We prove to not belong to Christ. And those who do this should not be treated as part of the Holy Church of God. This is the Holy Scripture's command on us. I want to wrap up this sermon by reminding all of us who belong to Christ of this. This is not our home. We have no lasting city here. We seek the city that is to come. Hebrews 13, 14. We are exiles in this world. Sojourners on a mission with the word of truth. A word that is divisive and undesirable to our depraved culture. Don't forget that. The Bible says, Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. 1 Peter 4.12 While what is happening today and what is growingly happening around the world is tragic, is disheartening, We need not be surprised. God has made it clear why. What is happening. And how we are to respond. The Bible says the good news that is Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Especially the worst of sinners. Don't ever forget that. Someone tells you of gross sin. You tell them of a huge Savior. This gives us hope to endure the persecution we will receive, knowing that God can and will change the most depraved hearts as He wills. Knowing that God is using our lives, our church, and our testimony to do this mighty work, even when it looks bleak, even when it looks hopeless. We press on, for God is not done with us. Amen? Think of how true that is for the congregations whose pastors are about to go to jail for years. God's not done with them. Any Christian who professes Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord joyfully submits themselves to all of God's holy and authoritative word. The culture is pressing hard against those who stand for the full authority of the entire Holy Bible. Church, this is not going to slow down. It's only going to get harder, even for us here in America. It's going to get harder for our children. Please, this is why it is so essential that we are diligent to raise them in the church and in the truths of God. And be so diligent to keep them away from the slow infestation of a worldly secular agenda that looks to deceive them and steal them away. As Christians living in the midst of times that are filled with growing controversy and persecution, we must stay committed to the authority of the Bible and the mission God has called us to in this exile season, which is to make Disciples of all nations for his glory and their good. Teaching them to obey God's word and the power of Christ. We are to do this despite how bad or how hard it gets. Sadly, there are a lot of people out there who are misquoting and misusing scripture to endorse their personal preference about this topic. It's very important that we have a right understanding of God's word and what it teaches in its fullness, I want to recommend you make the investment to study God's Word so that you rightly talk about it and counter false statements regarding this topic biblically. There are great resources we can point you to, and I pray you'll use them. Finally, we endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2.3, as we make much of the name of Jesus to all that He puts in our path. May we be loving and unwavering in our biblical convictions, even if it means persecution or strained relationships. May we be known for our sacrificial love for those headlong in sin and self. May we trust God to rule His created world for His eternal purposes and glory. Church, hear these words of the Lord. Romans eight twenty eight. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. Disciples, church, know that I'm praying for you as you represent the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Know that any of our shepherds or leadership team would be happy to meet with you, counsel, pray, Seek clarity as you look to understand these things better and honor God. As you work through the struggles you might face related to homosexuality, gender confusion, or any other sexual immorality or impurity. Church, God has us. And by His grace and for His glory, we will continue on to do the work He has called us to as long as He calls us to do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made, this opportunity you have given us to look to your holy word, to take time to have a round study and understanding of what these things are, what you've called them to be, to be undergirded with your good truths, so that we would be equipped, so that we would honor you, In all these things, in all these days, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing and are in the middle of already this day real persecution for standing with truth, for acting in true love. Embolden them. Give them your peace and your presence in the most mighty way. Give us steadfastness to trust your mighty work in these days that you've ordained. We love you. We cry out to you in worship and praise the confidence of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.